Hannah Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Welcome back to another episode of Ohio Politics Explained, the very low turnout edition. This week, we're talking about the results of Ohio's unusual second primary. What a vote to protect abortion rights in Kansas tells us about support here in Ohio, where gun control stands three years after the Dayton mass shooting, and why legislation to protect veterans stalled in Congress. Joining me this week is reporter Haley B. Miller. Welcome back. Hello, hello. In this balmy recording studio, our air conditioning is kind of on the fritz again, so is what it is. Feels very Summer in the dispatch building. (laughs) Well, our first topic this week is Ohio's unusual second primary. About 8% of registered voters turned out to pick state lawmakers and members of their party's state central committees, which means 9 out of 10 of you didn't vote. I just want to point that out. Anyway, two Republican representatives lost their primary races, one in the Delaware area and one down near Newark, and two Somali Americans from Columbus won. And that's a big deal because they may be the, well, they will be the only Muslims in the legislature and potentially the very first. I'm kind of in the middle of researching whether Ohio has ever elected a Muslim to the state house or to public office. So that's kind of why I want to couch that as a maybe. And I also like low-key hate firsts for this reason, because there's so much research that you have to do whenever they come up. But, you know, it's it's kind of cool that, that they would be um, among the first to, from their ba- particular backgrounds, to represent in the state house. But it also, the low turnout election had some negative consequences from for some people who currently hold elected office. Yeah, there are a couple incumbents that ended up losing their primaries. Um, and then another interesting race for state central committee, um, Betty Montgomery, who, she was the first female attorney general. She's been the staple in Ohio politics for a really long time. She lost her bid for state central committee, despite being a pretty well-known name. So, you know, when when you have low turnout like this, it's really a role of the dice in a lot of these elections, just because the typical people that might normally be turning for out for an election or just not there. Yeah. And, um, you know, in talking to poli sci folks and professors and whatnot, they kind of said that this was a, it was kind of a friends and family election. <laughs> so you bring yeah. your friends and your, but also you have to keep in mind that like the people who come out to vote for Congress, the people who come out to vote for U.S. Senate or for governor didn't have to come out. Like they were coming out for you. So whether you were a state rep or a state senator or a state central committee, like you were the reason they were going to vote. So if, say, they know you really well and they like you, that can make all the difference. You know, one example I had is like if you got 100 members of your church to go vote for you, that could have been the difference in this particular election. Right. And in the voters defense, we all kind of expected primary or turnout to be low because this was our second primary, as we've talked about (laughs) on here before. And it's August and no one can really be bothered by politics. And there were probably people who didn't even realize that this was happening because they're like, hey, I already voted and this Senate primary and the race for governor already. What what's going on here? Yeah, yeah. We kind of all expected it to be under 10%. And it was statewide. It was at eight. Um, It was 7% in Franklin County, 11% in Delaware County. I don't think any county actually broke 20%. Some of them got into the middle teens. But yeah, it was just across the board. Like, one of the lowest turnout elections in Ohio's recorded history. Another way that this election was very strange and certainly one of a kind. 
So our second topic is about another election day in Kansas. So the red state in the middle of the country also went to the polls on Tuesday and voters there decisively rejected a constitutional amendment that essentially would have paved the way for the state's Republican legislature to impose new restrictions on abortion. So here's a quick rundown. So Kansas's state Supreme Court a couple years ago said their state constitution protected abortion access, which meant like when Roe v. Wade was overturned this summer, their state lawmakers couldn't act unless they changed the constitution. But voters in Kansas on Tuesday said no, and the vote wasn't close. It was 59% against to 41% for, which surprised some folks because Kansas is both red and religious. Yeah, and when you look at the breakdown of the vote, it was as expected in some of the Democratic, more urban areas. But there were some conservative rural areas that voted against it, too. And I saw something interesting on Twitter. Someone was breaking down some of the advertising that was used, and it sounds like, you know, a lot of it was cast as, you know, this is the government trying to overreach. It's a violation of your freedom. So it's just interesting to see how that messaging may have had an effect. Yeah. And keep in mind that Kansas has restrictions on abortion access currently. I believe the cutoff is about 22 weeks. And beyond that, it's life of the mother exemptions only. They require ultrasounds before abortion. It's not like there's like, it's not like the state of Colorado where there are no restrictions on like where and when and that kind of question. So what's interesting to me and kind of the takeaway for Ohio is that, you know, Kansans weren't voting on whether to have access to all abortion. They were maintaining a more moderate viability, kind of the row level Mm -hmm. abortion access that we've talked about for years and years. And that's, you know, maybe one of those takeaways for Ohio that if Ohio were to say put a constitutional amendment on our ballot in 2023, that something more moderate, more life of the mother, more first trimester, like with certain caveats would probably potentially win. Yeah, I think advocates for abortion access in Ohio are looking at this and liking their chances. The earliest that they're going to get anything on the ballot is 2023. So the issue won't be as fresh as it was for Kansas voters. But, you know, this was still, as you noted, like not close. And so, you know, advocates here are saying, look, abortion access is popular. Like people don't want lawmakers to completely strip away their rights in this arena, which is what Ohio lawmakers are poised to do more or less in this fall. So it'll be interesting to see what the final language for our proposed constitutional amendment looks like there. It sounds like advocates are still working that out. Yeah, I think how they draft it will really make a huge difference in terms of how it does. And I will say Ohio Right to Life President Mike Gonadaka said that he doesn't think Kansas's results would be the same here in Ohio, but we just... I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Yep. Our third topic is gun control. So we're recording this podcast on the third anniversary of the Oregon District shooting in Dayton. The early morning attack killed nine people and injured 27 more. And Governor Mike DeWine promised he would do something afterwards. DeWine says he's done what is possible with a very conservative legislature who doesn't like really any restrictions on the Second Amendment. But Democrats and former Dayton Mayor Nan Whaley say he hasn't done anything close to enough. Right. I mean, so he has done a couple things, just the opposite of what anyone wanted him to do, or at least, you know, Democrats wanted him to do after the shooting. You know, he signed the Stand Your Ground bill. Mm -hmm. We no longer have training for permitless carry in Ohio. So a lot of people see those pieces of legislation as an example of DeWine caving to the more conservative members of the legislature and really walking back some of what he promised, which was not anything particularly extreme when it comes to gun control. You know, 
know, he's been an advocate for ensuring people who are kind of a modified red flag law. Right. Yeah. And universal background check that a strong Ohio bill that Senator Matt Dolan carried for Governor Mike DeWine was more modest versions of some of these legislations that we've seen in other states. But it went nowhere in our Republican controlled legislature. And I think DeWine has acknowledged the reality of that situation. But he has his campaign and his team has said that they have done things like um, getting criminal records into our background check system faster because apparently like that is one of the challenges is actually getting them uploaded. So when you get that background check for a gun at an actual store, if they don't have a domestic violence charge in the system, then the gun store doesn't know that you can't buy it. Yeah, that's been a big thing for DeWine's administration and, you know, probably you know, his sort of interest in this issue came from his time as attorney general, too. Um, you know, so that's that's been a big push of his uh, because Ohio was kind of all over the board with whether this information was in the system before he really started prioritizing it. So our fourth and final topic is burn pits. And for those who don't know, these are open air trash sites where the military disposes of waste by burning it. And the problem is that the Department of Defense says that about 3.5 million veterans were exposed to toxic chemicals from these pits. And those toxins have caused respiratory illnesses or cancer. And so Congress wrote a bill to support veterans who were impacted by these burn pits, and they named it after an Ohio veteran who died from lung cancer in 2020. His name was Sergeant First Class Heath Robinson, and he's from Pickerington. And the legislation that looked like it was sailing through Congress had strong bipartisan support, and then it ran into a snag this week, and Haley wrote about it. Yeah, so the Senate convened last week to take up this legislation late last week, and by all accounts, everyone thought it was going to sail through. And it actually already passed the Senate once, but for technical procedural reasons, it had to go back to them because the House made a small change. But then a group of GOP senators, including uh, Rob Portman, unexpectedly blocked this procedural vote that would allow them to pass the legislation. They said there was a provision in there that they thought would allow for some unrelated spending, and they were trying to get that amended. Advocates, Democrats were they furious. Were stunned, right? Yeah, I mean, it was it was really surprising. I talked with uh, Susan Zire, who was um, Heath's mother mother in law. She's been a big advocate. You know, she said she took her granddaughter to D.C. last week, expecting to celebrate the passage of the bill, and then they had to turn it into a lobbying effort, basically. So they protested at the Capitol for several days. John Stewart was out there too. Didn't some of them like camp out too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were there for a while, and then this week. The Senate finally passed it, you know, I'm sure, you know, and thanks in part to, you know, the work of these advocates who had really been pressuring them to get it done. So now it's heading into Biden. And uh, J.D. Vance, who is a candidate for U.S. Senate, um, said he hadn't heard of the legislation. Yeah, he was at the Ohio State Fair the other day and someone asked him about this. And, you know, he said he's all for anything that would help veterans, but that he hadn't been paying much attention to it, which raised some eyebrows because this has been a pretty major veterans issue. Um, And he is a veteran. Right. And a lot of people have said that the burn pits are kind of modern day Agent Orange. So it was just a perplexing response from a Senate candidate. And one more thing before you go, if you're looking to get your kiddos clothes for back to school like I am, this is the weekend to do it. Or I guess if you just want clothes or pens for yourself, Ohio's annual tax-free weekend starts on Friday and runs through Sunday. So clothing and traditional school supplies that are under certain specific dollar amounts will be tax-free. But there is no limit on how much you can spend. So like I think it's clothing above $75. I mean, under $75 would be tax-free. But you could buy $1,000 worth of clothing if you wanted, if that makes sense. So anyways, if you're 
are looking for that, it is tax-free this weekend, so I will be in DSW wrangling two tiny humans. Ohio Politics Explained is brought to you by the USA Today Network Ohio Bureau. You can find us on Twitter at Ohio Explained. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we covered today, check us out online at Enquirer.com. Thank you.